Welcome to the Guys Drinking Tea Podcast. If that sounds like a casual conversation to you, then you're absolutely right. We decided to start this podcast because, frankly, we just love talking about the scriptures and exploring how they interact with our everyday lives. These are the kind of conversations we were having in the hallway anyway every week, so we decided to turn on a camera and a microphone and let you listen in. If this content's helpful to you, then we would greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review in your podcast service, hop over on YouTube, subscribe to us there, like, comment, share with friends, all of those things. Without any further ado, let's dive into another sometimes meandering conversation about the scriptures and life. Hey friends, how you doing today? Uh, this is Alex here by himself recording, uh, drinking tea still, um, but figuring it out because I have no idea what I am doing. Aaron, my broadcast partner, uh, well, he just had his third child, for those of you that don't know, uh, or his wife had his third child. Um, and, and so super excited for them and he's taking this time off and uh, so I thought I'd try the solo thing this week. Next week, I am going to be chatting with Teresa DeWitt. She is our communications person here. And we're going to be talking about work-life balance, which is a theme we're going to land on uh, for the next couple of weeks um, and just kind of wrestle with what it is to, to live, live unforced rhythms of grace is maybe the language that we're using. What does it take to actually live in God's way in this world. The, the liberation theologian writer, Gustavo Gutierrez would say that you need a job that is meaningful. You need space for rest and for family. And then you need, you need things to enjoy. You need fun. Uh, you need an experience of that in your life. And, and I just have some questions about just how we're operating. And because I get all of the time today, um, I get to speak all of my thoughts. Uh, I get to wrestle with a few of those questions. Uh, and so Aaron left me all these detailed instructions and I'm struggling to, to obey them. So I'm looking at all the lights, looking at the things that are flashing and it, it looks kind of like everything's fine. Um, and we will see if it is. So I will sit here with my, uh, my tea, my PG tips and some chocolate that we'll get to in a little bit. Cause this week uh, at South, we talked about feasting and fasting and the connection between the two. So if you've been around the church thing for any length of time at all, you've probably heard people throw out uh, words like uh, what it is to to fast, to go without food for a specific period of time. And depending on the, the church culture you're around, you'll know that some people do this for these fantastic lengths of time. I've had friends that have told me about 40-day fasts that they have done, and they've really entered into this spiritual world that is just incredible. I, by nature, will be very honest. I am not, I am not a great faster um, or faster, however you pronounce that. I tend to, to find that rhythm difficult. I tend to get very distracted. Uh, I am, I would say, a great feaster. Now, the interesting thing here to me is this. Like this week, we tried to wrestle with the idea that this, this is almost a spiritual couplet. Jesus, Jesus takes these two elements and he at least implies quite strongly that his followers They'll definitely do both of these things. The, the, the Pharisees, or sorry, no, not the Pharisees in this case, some disciples of John the Baptist come to him and say, uh, why is it that your disciples don't fast? They even mention that the disciples of the Pharisees do fast, that 
they fast, Pharisees, disciples fast. Really, the implication is Jesus, everybody fasts. Why are your disciples known for feasting? Jesus has just been part of a big party of people that have gathered together to celebrate Matthew. Matthew has come to know Jesus in, in maybe our language. He's, he's become one of Jesus' disciples, has left his tax collector's booth, has gone from being an outsider uh, and hated by everyone to still being an outsider. But now part of Jesus' little uh, almost entourage, he's, he's 12 or so followers at this point. And Matthew has done the only thing he seems to know how to do to celebrate that. He's definitely not fasted. He's definitely feasted and he's just pulled everyone together. And it's been it's been a night of celebration. It's been a night of joy. It's been a night of good wine, good food, all of those different things that a Jewish party would uh, associate with enjoying that kind of thing. And, and so Jesus has been there with all of his followers. And this is where this question seems to come from. Why? Why not more fasting? The guys we don't like, they fast. The enemies fast. The, the other religions, they fast. Jesus, why, why is it that you don't fast? And, and that's what we get to wrestle with a little bit today. So Jesus implies that at some point his disciples will become people of fasting and he ties that into his presence. Right now I'm here. Right now that's a sign of God's goodness, his blessing, his favor. There'll, be, there'll come a time where I won't be present and then they'll fast. And so that first group of followers of Jesus, they definitely carry on that tradition uh, that Jesus seems to install. Jesus is a person who fasts. He's a person who feasts. And they become a community of people that fast. And they also feast. Fasting has this incredible spiritual benefit to it. It is this time of putting aside food, putting aside the, the everyday and looking for something different in the world, looking for notes of God's presence. Feasting has this incredible benefit in the world too. It has this flavor of looking for God's presence, observing it, thanking for, thanking him for it, recognizing the gift that you have been given in it. They, they are both tied to the spiritual. And I just have this question. I wonder whether we don't make both of them about the food. And I wonder whether neither of them are really supposed to be about the food. So, so of course, food, the practical, physical, the, the chocolate in front of me, is a necessary part of both fasting and feasting. There is this decision not to eat. It is practical. It is physical. There is this decision to eat. It is practical and it is physical. But somewhere when we bring those physical things into the spiritual realm, it, it feels like when we fast and we just make it about not eating, that's not really the purpose. Uh, the purpose was always designed to be this way of engaging with God, with, with looking for him, with putting aside the, the, the mundane to create more space for that thing. Uh, the feasting, yes, is about the food that's in front of you. Yes, it's about the joy and the wonder of that. But, but there's this moment of thankfulness that turns it into this spiritual thing that says, God, you, you have given good gifts. And so on Sunday, we looked at this, this line from Psalm 104 that, that begins, um, bless the Lord, O my soul, who does what? Who gives wine, who gives grapes to make wine, who gives oil to put on your head, who gives bread that nourishes your heart. It's, it's this moment of thanksgiving that pulls the feast into more than just food in front of you, but into this celebration of God and his, his good, good gift. 
to humanity. Uh, and there's this passage that just seems to summarize all that to dive a little deeper into it, uh, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's wrestling with questions of food. He's wrestling with this new church that he's trying to look after and, and wrestling with just how they sort of go about life. And, uh, and he says this, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is edifying. No one should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat everything set before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone tells you this food was offered to idols, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of your own conscience. The other one's conscience, I mean not your own. For why should my freedom be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I gave thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I could just picture Paul being this guy that in the conversation around feasting and fasting would say something like, what do you feel like you're supposed to do in this season? What are you supposed to do today? Are you, is God asking you to fast? Do it with thankfulness. Do it for his glory. Is he asking you to feast? Do it for his glory. And, and that is this like interesting moment that we kind of embraced around chocolate this week. There is the waiting period and, and a bunch of people, they just picked up the chocolate that I'd left on the chairs and they just ate it whenever they wanted. Um, and, and then there's the, the, the moment of celebration where you get to eat. And that is the feast. And, and somewhere, Paul says, the key to that, to doing that well, is, is to, to embrace it, to do it for the glory of God, to do it with incredible thankfulness. And so I think, what I think is, one, I, I wish we were all good at both. Uh, I, I think there's a tendency to lean more to one than the other. Uh, you might be someone who's embraced fasting regularly. You might be someone who regularly feasts, but but I wonder if we've not misunderstood both of them a little bit, or, or at least there's certainly the possibility that we don't really get to grips with why we're doing them. And then there's the possibility that you just don't think, I don't think about what I'm eating at all. And, and that's where I see this whole series we're playing with here at South. We're playing with this everyday spirituality series. We're playing with this idea that, that maybe God is calling us to to bring him and following him more into our everyday lives. And, and it's not supposed to be a, a morning prayer time thing. It's not supposed to be an attending church thing, but it's, it's supposed to be an, an embracing of, of this idea of like unforced rhythms of grace. If we could land in that spot of just, of just being involved in what Jesus is doing every day, that sounds like the sort of people we long to be. It's certainly the sort of person... I long to be, and and so so I just wonder, like, when I think about fasting and why we don't do it, when I think about feasting and why we don't get involved in it, we don't enter into it, I guess the question I would always ask is, why don't we? If we feel these are things that, that are beneficial, things that certainly in the case of feasting sound delightful, why is it that we we don't do that? And I read this stat on Sunday to people that shocked me when I read it. I'm still trying to figure out if I believe it's true. 20% of all American meals are eaten in the car, which is just a huge number, like one-fifth of meals. So I, I don't contribute to that statistic, apparently. Like, I, I hardly ever eat in the car. 
but some of you out there, some of you, like, you must be eating all your meals in the car to make up for that. Uh, so I, I, for whatever reason, just don't, I'm not American enough, clearly. But there is this, this sense of rush to that, that I'm so busy trying to get around different things. I'm just going to grab something. I'm going to go. I'm going to, I'm going to make it simple. I'm going to make it quick. I'm going to stop off at McDonald's. I'm going to grab my Happy Meal or whatever you, you crazy kids are eating these days. And I'm going to just eat it in the car and keep moving. There is this question of busyness that maybe impinges on our ability to both fast and feast. I'm always intrigued when people tell me that they're busy because the number of things that they say that they can't do because they're busy is one long and it includes some of the most incredible things. I, I'm too busy to exercise. As soon as I've got more time, I'll start exercising again. I'm, I'm too busy to feast, to enjoy food with friends in a community. I'm as soon as I'm less busy, I'll do that. Um, but we, we can almost like sacrifice anything, I think, to this guard of, of busyness. And I just wonder whether that's something that we have to embrace and challenge ourselves on first before we're able to deal and really enter into some of these things that we're talking about in this series. I, I, as, I, as I was thinking about that, I just started going down this rabbit hole of looking at certain statistics and a few things that, that just came up to me. One, out of the big Western economies, America works more than any other economy. We do more hours of work than anybody else. Over the last 70 years, our productivity as a nation has increased by um, 430%. So theoretically, when you go to work and whatever job that you do, theoretically, theoretically, in theory, you should be able to do it now in a quarter of the time that someone did it 70 years ago. And yet you still work all of these hours and we still do all of this stuff. Now, that, that's not a critique of the country particularly. And I have to be careful when I say that because as a, an immigrant, a foreigner, it can sound like a critique. And what I would say is I think every country has flaws and I'm not really here to try and change those flaws, but I am here to try and pastor a community of people to be aware of them and how it affects their spirituality. And I do think busyness definitely in, impacts our spirituality in a few key ways like our busyness gets in the way and I think what happens is this we are busy we know there's a way that our lives aren't functioning the way that we would love them to to work we know that there's things that we would love to to change and so what do we do when we know that we can't change it now or we feel like we can't change it now and we know that we need to change it at some point what we do, I think, is this. We tell ourselves stories to let ourselves know or think that we'll change it soon. So, so this is like the, the, the idea of the, the person that you may know. You, you may know someone who is consistently telling you, I'm, I'm going to quit my job next year and I'm going to travel around the world. Well, in most cases, that person may have been saying that for a long time, a lot longer than a year, and will still be saying it in a year. What the phrase does is it gives them permission to, to continue to do something, to live a life they find intolerable, because the promise is it's going to change sooner than, rather than later. In, in Michael Mann's wonderful film um, that has completely, I've completely blanked on now, uh, it's got Tom Cruise in it, it's got uh, Jamie Foxx in it. I'm going to have to look it up now um, because it's going to kill me if I don't. 
Michael Mann, Jamie Fox. What is that movie called? I'm gonna Collateral. That was the movie, Collateral. And it's about this guy that's going around and he's actually an assassin. He's actually killing a lot of different people. And um, and Jamie Foxx is the guy that's the taxi driver that he almost kidnaps and says, you're going to have to drive me all these different places while I do these terrible things. Uh, and in the midst of that, Jamie Foxx uh, is talking about his own life. Well, Tom Cruise starts asking Jamie Foxx about his own life. And and he sees this this like picture uh, of, of this plan that Jamie Foxx has for island limousines he's been a taxi driver and one day he's going to own a limousine company and he's going to buy a house for his mom with the, with the profits from it and everything's going to be great and and tom cruise kind of starts to ask him more questions about this and kind of kind of starts going down the lines of like well how much money have you got saved and he's like well, what do you mean he's like you know when are you going to make it happen like what's the plan and as he pushes and pushes and pushes it becomes just painfully obvious that he doesn't actually have a plan. He doesn't have any way of getting to where he wants to go. And Tom Cruise with this like, just just very direct approach kind of looks at him and says like, this is just a lie that you're telling yourself. Like, you're gonna wake up in 20 years and you're gonna realize that this was never ever gonna happen. And almost, I think he says something close to like, there's no need for me to kill you, you're already dead. And it's it's, it's a scene that's compelling, kind of brutal, but it, it speaks into that lie that we tell ourselves. No, we're gonna do this different thing. We're gonna live this different way one day. Right now, I've just gotta buckle down because it's only another year. And, and, and maybe that's true for you. I don't know. But definitely in some cases, it's the story we tell ourselves that enables us just to keep going with life as it is, even when we're not convinced this is the way it's supposed to be. And and back some years ago, I was a lifeguard in a leisure center. And I used to, to have these conversations with people that, that were very similar to that. I would notice this pattern. They would, around like January, they would start to talk intensely about the, the vacation they were taking to, to some Mediterranean island for a couple of weeks in the summer. And all of their savings up until that point had been going towards this one thing. And then they would get that moment and they would go on the vacation and they would come back and for the next two months, they would just talk about their vacation. Uh, and, and, and yet there was still this like, this rest of life, this huge piece of the rest of their life that it felt like they were just bypassing. Because all that mattered was the two weeks or all that mattered was the vacation. Everything else was just about getting by. And somewhere I think we're aware that like probably life is supposed to be more than that. And and we we miss it sometimes and we tell ourselves it will get better. And and yet somewhere the core for us is to take our spiritual life so seriously that we make sure the rhythms are good now. We don't give up and say it's going to be fixed in a year. We actually get to process with God. What are the hard decisions that I need to make? To, to live life with you as you intended it to be. So for this week, that was fasting and feasting. It was finding that rhythm. Maybe the call for you this week is to enter into some kind of fasting to say, God, I'm, I'm feeling these places where it seems like you're absence, absent. And in that, I'm going to long for your presence. Maybe the call for you is that you've experienced so much and, and, and God's presence is something that you talk about maybe fairly often. Maybe you've experienced it, but maybe around food, 
it is just the busyness of life and it's the quick prayer that you throw out really briefly. Maybe one of your kids prays it. We have this standard family prayer, as I'm sure many of you do, that goes something like, thank you, Jesus, for this day, for our food, family and friends. And and I tease my oldest daughter because sometimes she'll 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 pray the bedtime prayer at, at lunchtime or dinner time and, and vice versa. And I'm like, you weren't you weren't really thinking about it, were you? You were just you were just going through the motion. Which is fine, maybe for a kid, but we're not kids, are we? And and somewhere like the call is to have those real rhythms and those real prayers that that recognize God, you gave all of this. You created a world that could produce wheat that can be turned into bread. You gave this world that grew grapes and now they've become wine. You gave this world that gave us these good things. You gave me these people around me and I'm going to be here and I'm going to feast around that. I'm going to celebrate that. Fasting is this moment where we get to, we get to go without food, but that food thing isn't really the point. It's about looking for God's presence in this world that is often just the mundane and the everyday. And we get to sit and eat and it's about the food, but it's also not. The invitation is to make it about more than the food. The invitation is to make it about the presence, about experiencing God in new ways and recognizing he is all around you and working through you and that, that everything that you have is a gift from him. Over the next couple of weeks, just to give you a little roadmap, what we get to do now is, is we kind of looked at this spiritual couplet, I called it, a fasting and, and feasting. Next week and the week after, we're going to look at almost what I'd call a, a triad. We're going to look at how we're supposed to find balance in our everyday life. We're, we're investing and recognizing the fact that we want to pull God into every area of life. And yet I feel like there's this triad somewhere of, of work and play and rest. And we kind of get pulled off in one direction or another. Our lives get warped and very out of whack. And, and so we're going to challenge ourselves on some of that. Um, but it's been fun to hang out with you, to drink some tea. And looking forward to having Teresa with us next week. Looking forward to having Aaron back the week after that and uh, the, the many weeks in the future. Um, so have a great day. Great to hang with you for a while. All right. Well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this, so feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing, and we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.